0: through a few weeks here of looking at biblical eldership, looking at what it is to be a shepherd, an overseer, a pastor, teacher. As we've been highlighting, that that terminology in the New Testament is is woven and interchanged quite frequently. But I want, again, to, to highlight the fact that as we talk about what it is I'm called to do and what elders are called to do and what pastor, teachers, overseers, shepherds are called to do, you must realize and understand that there's great application for you. You're like, hey, I might not be called as a pastor, but we're all part of the priesthood of the believers. We're all given an area of influence to lead and to build into and to shepherd and to care and to point people to Christ. And so my hope is that as we go along looking at Scripture, you're going to see a lot of application for you if you are a stay-at-home parent, if you homeschool, if you lead a business, if you lead in any capacity. There's great application here as we grow and learn this life of Christ, and being sort of an under-shepherd to the shepherd. So we're going to jump back into that this morning. I'm going to pray briefly, and then we'll jump into uh, the next segment of this series. Father, we ask for your aid and your guidance in our time here looking at your word today. Father, we ask that you would give us uh, clarity of thought. I pray that you would give me clarity of speech, that you would communicate through me accurately in a way that honors you, in a way that is in accordance and in sound lockstep with your word, your spirit, in the resurrected Son, God the Son, our Savior. Father, teach us. Father, give us a desire for you. Father, change us. And Father, may we know your grace in a new way here today from our time at your feet as we open your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a day where everyone has a truth claim. Everybody claims to have the truth. We just sort of swim in content. We've we've got sort of all of these promises online that we run into, right? People that promise to have the five steps to a happier, healthier new you, right? Everybody has like this golden ticket, this thing that unlocks the meaning of life. I saw a meme recently that talked about sort of the migration of experts. It used to be years ago experts were scholars and trained men and women that are scientists and biologists and historians. And now a, a, an expert is found in Kansas. Her name is Karen and she's got an access to Facebook. So if you've got Wi-Fi connectivity in a device, you can be an expert. Everybody's an expert. And everybody claims to have this nugget that will change your life. Hey, Tim, i got to tell you, man, I'm starting to eat avocado ice cream, all right? And I'm wiping it under my eyes, and suddenly all the bags are gone. And suddenly I don't have heartburn anymore. You know, it's like everyone's got this truth claim. I got this key, this hope. The reality is we need to do life together in community so that together we can determine what is right and true and beautiful, so we can determine what is sound and is good. We need one another to navigate the day in which we're living. Last June I was in China and I was walking through an ancient marketplace there. Narrow sort of passageways, just sort of these twisting, winding sort of side streets. And through this sort of marketplace, everything is just sort of wedged in there. You can find jewelry and t-shirts. You can find sports memorabilia. You can find all of these different things. And it's a bit overwhelming. In the midst of that crazy, bustling city in a sea of people, you can find real things, authentic things. But woven in there in the streets, you can find knockoff things. Let me give you an example. In, in, the, in a sort of a space of about a half mile away from one another, you can find a real Rolex watch, like a legit Rolex. And a half mile away from there, at the other end in a market, you can find a Brolex. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like a knockoff. On one part of the market, you can walk through and you can get a legitimate Louis Vuitton handbag, like a legit handbag. And then, about 300 yards away, you can find a Louis Catan handbag. Do you know what I'm saying? And all of the stuff looks pretty convincing. So I'm walking through there this one particular day. All of our meetings had wrapped up and we were interacting with our hosts there that were leading us through the market and connecting with, with people there in the various cities we traveled to. It was a, an incredible life-changing experience and trip just to watch the body of Christ there and China expand and grow and morph. And it, despite all the oppression and hardship that the church of Christ is under there, God's kingdom advances. Really humbling. One of our guides there found out that I was looking for a pearl for Kristen. I wanted to get my best friend, my sweetie, a real pearl. So I was walking through a market this one, one day, and I was bumping into all these jewelers, and every jeweler there claimed to have a real pearl. And it, you know what? They look. They all look, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a total rube. I don't, I'm not a jeweler. I don't know anything about pearl. I don't know it. I'm just like, oh, that looks good. That looks good. One of our guides said, no, 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 time out to him. Look, you don't want to find a pearl there because these shopkeepers, these jewelers will say these are real pearls. They'll sell you a pearl at real pearl dollar pricing and you go home with some shiny plastic and they're laughing all the way to the bank. You don't want to buy a pearl from here. So, this next day after our meetings, we have some more free time and he, this guide of ours takes us to an area in that city. He says, I'm going to show you where to go find a pearl. He led us to one of his good friends there. I can't tell you the city or the location because the person he led us to knows and loves Jesus. And there in the midst of oppression is living and leading for Christ. There in the midst of overwhelming sort of tyranny and persecution is a man there in the thick of a city, below street level, conducting a business with the values and principles of Jesus Christ our King. With the values and principles of the kingdom. So we go down below street level, and I'm thinking, this is it, man. I'm, you know, I'm getting, this is an ambush. You know, like, I'm like, okay, Jesus, thank you. I'm going to see you in a minute, take care of my kids and the church. And like, I'm, it's good. I know where I'm going. Walk down this alley, down the stairs, below street level, and we find this gentleman there. And our guide, our friend, had led us to the place where we could get the real thing. We looked at what this man had, and it was legit. And I think he gave us a fair price, because my local friend there was like, Oh, you got a good deal. Now that he wouldn't have told me if I got a bad deal, like I was happy. I probably made that guy's Porsche payment, but the reality is I found the real thing. And I had a guide that took me there to find the real thing. As a pastor and as a shepherd, and as a as a leader, as a parent in the pew this morning. You have the calling and privilege of leading your people, whatever they are, whoever they are, whatever context you're in, to the real thing, to Christ the King, to the truth. We get to lead people to the one that will radically change your life, not for a little while, but for all of eternity. We are dealers with tenderness of the truth. We are dispensers of the truth. We're guardians of the gospel. We guard the truth and we bring people to a place where they can get a a sip of the living water that will change them. We lead people to the word of God that will penetrate their heart and shape their mind and push away the darkness and push away despair and bring hope and eternal life. We get to be those people by the grace of God that get to walk with the king and we get to distribute and live this shouldn't have worn glasses today because it's going to get foggy we are alive because of the truth we're being redeemed because of the truth what you hold in your hand is a bridge to faith in Christ the King the one that laid his life down for you The one that died for your shame. The one that died to be the remedy for your sin to make you right with God. I'm not into bibliolatry. I don't worship the Bible. I worship the God of the Bible. And when we open this, there is this true message, the real thing that changes us because we encounter the living God. How tragic is it to read this but miss the God of the universe? May we read this and be drawn closer to the God who lives and breathes and moves and shapes and is sovereign, is orchestrating, is in control of all things. We get to be the dispensers of the real thing, leading people to the real thing. And it's not just my calling as a shepherd, as a pastor, as the point overseer of this ministry. You in the pews as coaches get to lead your team to the real thing. You get to lead your kids to the real thing, the real Christ the real Messiah, and many of us have been searching and we're thirsting and we're hungry. Our day is starved for truth. There's a ton of content out there, but it's hard to navigate and to determine what is true and what is false. People are hungry for the truth, and so we look into religion and we look into subcultures and cultures and lifestyle and yoga and all these different things, thinking that that will sort of satisfy the itch. It's Christ the King. He'll satisfy that itch. And watch him take your life and lead it to a place of flourish and blossoming and health. He is that one. Many are searching, and we found him by the grace of God. The reality is, he found us, and now we're aware of him. We get to lead people to the real thing. It's difficult, though, because the reality is this you hold in your hand and look on the screen of a message that will change you and lead you to God. But the challenging thing is, there's struggle in this day. And the reality is that there is this enemy that is waging war for your heart and mind, trying to deceive. We call him Satan. The scriptures call him Satan. And often the scripture, read, in one key area, describes him as the father of lies. And he lives for deception and confusion and falsehood. But take courage. We have this freedom fighter, Jesus. We have the truth, and greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. He dwells in us by the Spirit, and he came to set us free, to chip and clip and strip the bonds of falsehood and death away from us. And we see this coming to a head in the, in the Sermon of the Mount. I think back into Matthew. Jesus shows up, and he lovingly is going after all the false shepherds and all the false teachers that were leading the kingdom kids away from God. And he, over and over in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus just keeps saying, I know what you guys have heard. I know what you're hearing. I know that you have received all these truth claims. I know what you heard, but let me set the record straight. I say to you, I say to you, I teach you, let me lead you to truth. I am the truth. I am the way. I'm going to set you free, but you look to me. So over and over, just leading us to him. And the truth is so paramount, we cannot fully know Christ. We cannot come to a right relationship with Christ if we do not know the truth. So it's paramount that little by little, we know this message. We get into the scriptures and we encounter this God. And some of you are thinking, yeah, Tim, but this here, the thing you're holding, the Bible, right? Men wrote that. Like, guys, you know, people throughout history, they, they wrote that, they captured that, like, it's, it's filled with error, right? I mean, that's sort of the pervasive theme that comes up. The reality is the scriptures make it clear that, A, uh, God moved through people by the power of the Holy Spirit to capture his very heartbeat and his very wisdom and his will, Like, okay, well, the Bible claims that, but if the Bible's not dependable, why would I listen to what's written here? Well, let me go further, let me explain something more powerful, more significant. Key eyewitnesses saw the Son of God come back from the dead. The proof is in the pudding. I wouldn't be here as a communicator of the gospel, a shepherd of the good news of Jesus if I didn't believe that there was a logical conclusion. Countless people saw the Son of God. There was extra biblical sources, historians that recorded the life of Christ, and many people that saw Jesus come from the dead after his death. You know what? I'm going to follow the one that came from the dead. I don't know about you. I'm going to believe in the sovereignty of God, the grace of God, the providence of God, that if this one could come back from the dead, claiming to make a way for me to be right with God, I'm going to believe the one that captured and protected Scripture. The reality is we have thousands of, thousands of copies of the original in the New Testament, thousands, well-preserved. Some of the things that you hold to historically key battles throughout history and time, we only have a handful of copies of, and they're not even all the best. We've got countless copies of the original. I'm excited. I'm not yelling at you, by the way. If you're new to the church, you're like, holy cow, this guy's on. I'm, this is, if you're new, I'm passionate. God's changing me. He's changing us. I'm excited. I'm not mad at you. I'm excited, okay? so like, holy cow. Dude, I came to church. This guy's yelling. I'm just, I'm excited. So I'm going to follow the one. that came from the dead. And I'm going to follow the ancient church record throughout history of those that walked with this one, that saw him after he came from the dead. I'm tracking with this guy. And not because I chose him, but because he chose me. I don't deserve it. We don't deserve this grace or this life, but he's lavishing it upon us, his grace and his mercy. We get to track with the real one, the real thing, the real truth. We get to protect it. We get to, by the Spirit of God, it's miraculous. We get to live it little by little, and then we get to dish it off to others. All right, Tim, where's the wisdom come from? I already tipped my hat, but let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's begin there. It's a communion Sunday too, so I got to talk fast, okay? I love these times we come around the table, but I'm like, all right, I got to squeeze an hour or more into, don't worry, I'm not going to preach for an hour, into like 35, 40 minutes. All right, so Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. We'll have it up here on the screen. Let's begin there. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we'll start in verse 4, though I want to go further back, but we're going to just sort of We're starting here, okay? Hear, O Israel, here in the Hebrew, Shema, that's where we hear that the Shema is often sort of description. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's one true God, miraculously, but yet existing in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, not three different people, but three persons in one. There is one true God, and and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And we're like, yes, I love him. Verse 6, or excuse me, verse, verse 5 here is an impossibility without the presence of God working in your life. I can't pull myself up by my bootstraps and say, yes, I love him with everything that I am. Cannot do it without the divine movement of the Spirit of God in us. Cannot. But now, miraculous, because the grace of God, we are brought to life. We come from death to life through God the Father, by the resurrection of Christ the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now, so I'm kind of putting more of the context, the corpus, the canon of Scripture together. We now, in measure, can now love him with all that we are. Do we do it flawlessly? No. I haven't loved him perfectly today. Tim, you're the preacher. Man, we're in trouble. That's where... Christ and His grace comes in. That's where the perfect one steps in. Because the reality is we can't fully love Him. There's moments and seasons where we're just on fire and we're seeking and tracking with Him. But because of the grace of God and the work of Christ on our behalf, we come alive and now we are mindful of the love of God and the presence of God in our lives. He's saying, you got to love me, the the great command: love God with all that we are and then we go further and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, love me. We've now been revived, and we can to some degree love. It's not perfect, and that's why we need Jesus. If we could love God the Father perfectly, why did Christ the King have to come? If we could somehow make a way to God by observing the law and fulfilling the law, why did God the Son have to die for me? Anyway, I'm chasing a rabbit. Love me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Verse 6, and these words that I command you today, that's where I was going. Verse six, and these words I command you today shall be what? On your heart. See, the wisdom that we follow and the wisdom we aim to live by and the truth that we claim is not my wisdom. It's not your wisdom. It's a wisdom that comes from on high from God. Do you see what happened there in verse 6? These words, this is God, the words that I command you today shall be on your heart, etched upon your heart. He goes further, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. Listen, love me with all that you are, pursue me, have a relationship with me, hunger for my instruction, memorize it, meditate upon it, etch it upon your heart, but don't just hog it, dispense it, teach it, broadcast it. We want to preserve the real thing and we do that by loving well and sharing with others so that they know the truth and can walk with the real one and walk in the real thing of the gospel and dispense it to others. I want to think more broadly on this verse. I mean, the clear clear teaching here is about the clan of Israel loving well in community, sort of a village raising up children. And I I don't want to depart from that. That is a reality. But some of you are thinking, well, Tim, I don't have children. I don't have grandchildren. I'm not married. I don't even have a... you know." And, And so you kind of keep it narrow. But the reality is this, who who are you building into? Who are you mentoring in the faith? It doesn't have to be a biological child or grandchild. Who are you imparting truth to? Who are you dispensing the gospel to? Who are you sharing the real thing with? Look, I, I met with someone this week, a friend, not my dad, not a family member, but is a coach. Someone that's building into me and challenging and encouraging and thinking biblically with me on leadership and how to lead my family and how to lead this organization. We need people to build into us, but we don't just receive it. We should be dispensing that love and that grace and the truth of God to others. So, who are you investing in? Maybe it's your son or daughter. Maybe it's someone on your team. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. And and look, I'm here in the pulpit. I get paid, I would do it for free. Okay, Donna, don't listen to that. Like, we need to pay the bills. I appreciate it. But like, this is not a vocation for me. This is God's wiring calling upon my life. So whether something's going into my bank account or not, this is who I am in Christ. So we share and we dispense. But who are you building into? Who are you investing in? Who are you building the gospel into? Maybe it's your child, maybe it's your team, maybe it's your class, and I get it, I get it. Tim, if I shared the gospel or shared a verse of my job, I'd probably lose my job. I know that's a reality. I worked in the corporate world. I know that reality, so don't, like, I'm not pie in the sky, but the reality is what we talked about last week. We are models of the gospel of Christ. We mimic the movements of Jesus to those around us. You may not be able to preach it like I'm preaching it now, but you certainly can live by the values of the gospel. You can make decisions that honor the king. You can build into your employees by how you carry yourself. You can do that. Who are you building into? Who are you sharing the good news with? Let me talk about the Celtics for a minute. Can I do that? Okay, there was this guy named Kyrie Irving last year. He's not listening, okay? I might get some mail over that. Anyway, he's on to bigger things in Brooklyn. But you would watch him. He had the rock, and he's like crossing, you know, twitching and crossing, you know, just handling the ball, and he'd clear out ISO, ISO, and Kyrie would dance around and dribble and dribble and dribble and dribble, and and everyone's just watching Kyrie. Kind of a ball hog, okay, is what I would say growing up playing basketball. And he would dribble, and he might hit like a a layup or a fadeaway over three people. Everyone's just standing around watching the guy. The reality is we in the real thing, walking with the real one in the real truth, the authentic truth of the gospel and the word of God are more like Kimba. I like Kimba. All right. Now, he's got all the twitch and all the shake and all, all of that. And he can get to the hoop at, at will if he wants to. But look, he'll move and he distributes the rock, bounce pass, chest pass, alley-oop. Okay. So he's feeding other people. He scores, he can fill the stat sheet, but he's distributing the rock. We are those that distribute. We're not ball hogs like Kyrie, we're distributors of the rock like Kimba. Does that make sense to anybody? Two basketball fans like, I get it, I got it, I'm I'm, I'm not Kyrie, I'm Kimba. Holy cow, this won't go viral, I hope. Anyway, the, the point is, there's skill there and there's an understanding of the game. And yeah, Kimba can do it. He can score. He'll score 40 points if you just let him go. But he'll score 20 and have like several assists and rebounds. He's working the offense. We preserve the real thing. When we live it, we walk with him, and we kick it to others. That's the name of the game. Know the king. Follow him. Help others in their faith journey progress in the Lord come get a drink of the real thing, a taste of the, the real bread. Holy cow, I gotta get going. All right, so let's move on. Let's look at Psalm 119. Holy cow, we're moving, we're moving. Bear with me. I'm not uh, Sleep if you're tired. It's, it's, what time is it now? I don't even know. The time change is a mess. Uh, if you're awake, keep tracking. If you're asleep, your, your friend will catch you up on anything good, okay? But Psalm 119, looking at verse 9. Let's move a little further now. So this, this, This good news from God, the wisdom of God to us. Verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? How can we walk in truth? How can we battle against going down other pathways and falling into sin? Like, how how do we stumble along with God's grace in in truth? Verse 9, by guarding it according to your word. See, we preserve and we distribute the good news, but in a way, the word of God is an umbrella to your life. So we're guarding it, but the crazy thing is God is guarding us through it. Do you see what I mean? As you're in it, it's sort of, it's just overwhelming your thinking and your heart and your life. And, and the word becomes sort of this umbrella, this canopy over us. By guarding it according to, not, not my word, not your word, your, his word Verse 10, with my whole heart, look at this, it's kind of tying back into Deuteronomy. With my whole heart, I seek you. I'm going to love God with my heart, mind, soul, my strength, everything that I am. With my whole heart, I seek you now. I know you because I've connected with you through your wisdom that's been left to me at this point in the law. So I'm tracking with you, and I don't want to wander from your command. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Anybody wander? (laughs) Anybody ever drift? from his path, from his love, from the real thing, from the truth. Anyone wander, ever. Yo, you know my story. I'm not going to share it because many of you heard of it. My late teens and early 20s, it was nothing but one wandering misadventure. I'll leave it at that. But many of you have been down those pathways where you've, you've departed from health, spiritual health, truth. You've wandered into other things. Hey, if you're wandering this morning, let me just say this. The God of the universe is alive. He loves you. He knows everything about you before the foundation of the world. He knew about every hiccup that would come your way. Every misstep, every poor decision, he was aware of it. And he loved you so much, he came to redeem you. To set your feet upon him. To lead you in a new way. He's not surprised by anything, any of your drifting, any of your wandering, any any of the self-inflicted wounds, and we've got a a list of self-inflicted wounds, and yet he comes time and time again to restore, revive, forgive, and set your feet squarely in him again. Anybody wander? Yeah. You don't have to raise your hands. I already know we all wander at times. We had a really encouraging conversation with a friend of ours not too long ago. She said, Tim, God's been teaching me so much and showing me so much and encouraging me so much, and I'm ready to lean into what he has for me. She she had one relationship with a guy that didn't know and love Jesus, and she claimed to be a Christian. She had trusted Christ as Savior. That went on for a few years, and it didn't go well, and she dusted herself off, like, you know what, I think I'm just going to keep doing it my way again. She gets into another relationship. This guy doesn't know and love Jesus either, and it went okay for a while, but a few years later, it just was, you know, oil and water, ships in the night, just no connectivity because of that great significant bond with Christ wasn't there. Third relationship, you know, I'll just sort of, you know, I'll just keep, I'll I'll pursue that, and, and maybe this time, like I can be a Christian, I can follow Jesus, and I'll compromise over here a little bit, that ended poorly. God brought her to a place where she said, he has my attention, and I'm a little pig-headed. I'm a little stubborn, but I know that the scriptures talk about being equally yoked with someone that loves Jesus and is tracking with Jesus, and you know what? As much as I want to be in a relationship at this point in my life, I'm going to do it God's way, and I'm going to wait for that guy He may not come, but I want to go in the way of Jesus. I know he loves me. I know that what he's written for me is best. I don't want to compromise anymore. That encouraged me so much. It's not an easy stance. It's a challenging thing. It's a whole other topic, but I just sat there with goosebumps just saying, praise God. God, that I would be faithful to your word and what you have for me, that I wouldn't compromise when it's convenient or it's easy or it's just desirable and it's right there, like I could do this, but wait a minute, there's this loving God that is just screaming to us over his love for us saying, wait, wait, trust me, trust me, I know what is best, I'm best, and I'm going to guide you through every detail of life, you just you got to just rest in me, we wander. Look at this, so going back into Psalm 119. Verse 13, with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth, in the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. This wisdom of God changes us, it gives us this new heart, it's etched upon our our hearts, our lives, this wisdom of God, we dispense it to others, and we become alive in this living God, and we come to the place where we hunger and thirst for Him, everything, all of the things from Him. So the psalmist here is saying that your law, your word, your, your truth is so desirable that you could Give me all the riches in the world. Pile them all right here, all the gold. If we could fit it all here, which you couldn't, everything, all, every favorite car, you can think, all the wealth, all the treasure. And I delight in this more. What I want to understand more and more as I follow this God is that I hold in my hand a treasure chest of untold riches, wisdom from God on high, a true pathway of knowing God and resting in His grace. A pathway of living the kingdom values of an eternal God. It's all, it's all here. And when we open it, we revel in his presence. We experience this God. And the relationship is sparked when we come to the truth of Christ by faith. What you hold in your hands is far more valuable than anything in your bank account today. Sincerely. If you've got Christ, you've got all that you need. And he'll supply all the things that you need. All the details, what you're going to wear, what you're going to have on your feet, what you're going to eat. You just focus right here. We go to the New Testament in Acts chapter 6. This theme of... Leadership and you know, of the hungering of the word and the dispensing of the word continues on. And Acts chapter six, the body of Christ is growing. The spirit has come now at the day of Pentecost and the presence of God is filling up the lives of the people and this community that we call the church today is growing and it's expanding and it's contagious because God's moving and he's at work and people are desirous of what's happening there. But a little rift comes along and this is where we see a distinction in leadership between the elder and the A rift comes along. Uh, The the Hellenists were upset that the widows of the Hellenist group were not being cared for. A Hellenist was a Greek-speaking Hebrew person. They felt like their widows weren't being cared for as well with food and that sort of thing. So a little bit of a rift comes. The apostles bring some of the other key elders and leaders in and says, hey, we got to do something about this. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom. Where does that wisdom come from? It comes from their instruction in the truth, the real thing. Being informed of the law, being informed of the life of Christ. So these people with good repute, they're men of character, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So there's a distinction now. There's deacons established to handle the physical needs of the people. They're also peacekeepers. When a rift comes in, a deacon can sort of soothe that and lead back to a greater unity again. And now the elders, sort of the the apostles, uh, they hand off the mantle of the preaching and teaching. They're establishing the movement of the body of Christ that we're a part of today. And they say this, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. It's the wisdom of God. It's the real thing. It's the mess. The gospel. We're going to be committed to that, studying it, memorizing it, praying it, singing it, living it. We're going to be devoted to that, the gospel, the expansion of the mission, leading people in their faith towards maturity. And we're going to connect with God through prayer. I want to be real clear here. That doesn't mean that boys and girls and men and women should not be men and women, and boys and girls of the word and prayer. In fact, I would argue that we should all be men and women of the word and prayer. It just means that I've been set apart and others have been set apart with the the gifting here within the eldership of pastor to communicate God's word, to protect, to shelter and shepherd and and group the people up together in the name of Christ at his feet through, through the word. But all of us should be men and women of the word and prayer. One of the great things that happened through the Reformation is that there was a migration and a movement back to the word. More people could read. The printing press was available. The gospel was being spread. The word was being produced. And it was a little bit more accessible. But prior to that, the, the thought was God is sort of this esoteric God hidden, only revealed the sort of like the elite that knew Latin and Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, those that could read. And so the, the thought was, hey, leave it to the pros hey, leave it to your rabbi, your priest, your pastor. Let, let them deal with all of the, the grammar and the this. and the... Zwingli and Calvin and Luther, they came back to the real thing through the message of Christ, the Word, and said, wait a minute. No, 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 no. The Word of God, the gospel, is to be proclaimed to all. Not all will respond, but all can access the God of the universe through Christ. And, and ultimately, we meet Christ and this God through the word. And so there's a great push back to getting people in the word. For some, you're like, this is intimidating. I'm new to the faith. It's, it's overwhelming. In the months, and the weeks, and the years to come, together, we're going to track together in Jesus and learn and grow Grow as disciples, grow in the word, understanding how to apply it, how to live it. It's okay if this is new to you. You can jump in today. You can revel in the love of God. You can place your faith in him. You can enter into the community here and grow in community with others that can help you get oriented to the real thing. The Apostle Paul was building into many. A lot of his dealings were captured in the New Testament He was building into a couple of younger guys, Timothy and Titus. Paul was fully invested in the good news of Jesus, fully invested in the Word of God. But he understood he needed to teach the real thing, live the real thing, and kick it off to others, right, like we've talked about. So he comes to his young protege, Timothy, his apprentice. He's building into him. Think of like an executive in your office that may be building into you, and just sort of there's this mentorship going on. There in Ephesus, or Timothy was there in Ephesus, and he told Timothy this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning of verse 3. He says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, he says, remain at Ephesus. Remain at Ephesus. Set down roots there. Be committed. Stay there there was all kinds of stuff going on in the church at Ephesus. It was a a, a little messy. They were a little out of whack. And and Ephesus was just a weird city, not unlike any of the cities that were near, like Boston. All the issues that plague big, sort of populated areas, they had all of that. Everyone had the truth. Everyone claimed truth. Everybody had the message. Oh, yeah, this is the way. Pagan worship and this and all kinds of things. There's a really muddled area. And he built into young Timothy. He built into the church. And you would think maybe he would start in this area or that area but you know where he started was in the defense of the gospel as timothy as a shepherd protect the real thing guard the real thing teach the real thing Live the real thing. Communicate true, sound theology and doctrine. Look at this, verse three, as I urge you, right? Remain at Ephesus, don't go anywhere, stay the course there, represent Christ there, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. All of this stuff was swirling. People were taking aspects of the law, they were taking aspects of who Christ is and was, and they mixed all of that together, and they led to all these sort of extra-biblical teachings It was a weird sort of cocktail of confusion. Speech it. Live it. Protect the real thing. It's imperative that we all are men and women and children of the word and prayer because the more we know the real message, the more likely it is that we can decipher falsehood masquerading as truth. When you know the real thing, you hear counterfeit stuff, you're like, time out. That ain't in here. That's not what God communicates. That's not the truth. We need to know it. And you need to hear this. We've talked about this in the past. Behind every message and messenger is a spirit, but not every spirit is from God. You might hear something that sort of wets the whistle, tickles the ear, but you need to sort of sink your teeth into it and search out the scriptures because it could be a false message. Live the real thing, Timothy. Teach it, protect it. Charge these other guys that are leading people to confusion to back off. Verse 4 nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. So rather than having the true message, the doctrine here, they have this sort of weird, again, cocktail of sorts that's just hindering the progression. He says, our aim, our charge is love that issues from a pure heart. The truth, the gospel, the real thing, the pure message lends itself towards purifying and cleansing our hearts. And a good conscience, and it leads to a sincere faith. He says, certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away, into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. John Stott said, arrogance mixed with ignorance is a dangerous formula. They didn't even know enough to be dangerous. Partial truth mixed with a bunch of nonsense. And they're like, oh no, we know the law, we know the word, we know the message. They had no clue as to what they were doing. Paul said, Timothy, stay the course. Protect the real thing. Distribute the rock. Teach it well. Don't stand for false doctrine. All sorts of things come in to sort of chip away at true gospel. We can sort of melt down Christ and the gospel to be just sort of this physical thing that God can become some type of cosmic-like slot machine or cosmic sort of snack vending machine kind of dispenser, like if I just believe enough, if I just pray hard enough, if I just work hard enough, like he's going to hook me up. The treasure isn't the stuff he allows us to have this side of the kingdom. The treasure is the king, the real one. The treasure is that we get God, not just get meaning understand, but We get God the Father because of the work of God the Son on our behalf. That's the treasure. The gospel is that we are sinful in need of rescue, separated from a holy God. God comes to our rescue, the righteous one, lives that flawless life. Dies for me, dies for you in our place, is laid in the ground, but on the third day rises. And those that confess and repent of their sin and turn to him by faith, enter into a resurrection life with Christ. We move from death to life and are made right with God. And the great treasure is God himself, that we can know him and walk with him and experience his truth and experience his love and experience his redemption and mercy. He is the great present treasure, gift. It's not a Stanley Cup trophy. I hope the Bruins run the course. That'd be great. If you watched the game last night, it was nuts. It was like UFC fight broke out. It was nutty. The Celtics, that'd be great. Man, go take one. They haven't won it since 08. That'd be awesome. That's great. That's just all gravy. That's hobby. The treasure is this God. We get God. So we got to protect the message. Live it lead people to the real thing, and distribute to those around us, everybody we come into contact with. Ten years ago, a movie came out called The Book of Eli. A quick little sidebar, not a family movie, okay? Send me your emails and texts later. Don't, just bear with me. Eli was played by Denzel Washington, sort of a post-apocalyptic neo-Western, okay? Okay. Just wasteland, just nasty, people surviving. It's pretty gritty trying to survive and do their thing. Eli has the great treasure. He's got the last copy of God's word. For 30 years, he walks with it. He's a blind man protecting it, and you're thinking, This is it. He's going to get taken out. Ambushes would come, and people would pop out trying to take Denzel out. And he had these like crazy, he's like walking by faith, not by sight. It's crazy, like sword skills and ninja skills. I don't know how he could sense everybody around him, but he would just sort of navigate this world. Everybody wanted that Bible, not for good. Eli wanted it for good, but others, warlords, wanted it for harm, for shameful gain. Many of the people in that day couldn't read, and they knew if they had the word of God, it was powerful, they could manipulate, they could do harm, they could use it for their own goods. Everybody wanted this priceless artifact, they would say at that point, the last Bible known to man. At some point, there's a low moment in the narrative where Eli's traveling about, and and he loses the Bible to his nemesis, and your heart sinks, you're like, holy cow. It's fallen into the wrong hand. Eli, pretty unfazed, battles and he makes his way out west on his adventure, his journey. He comes to Alcatraz in San Fran. He comes to Alcatraz, and there is a community of people trying to preserve history. They've got copies of Shakespeare. They've got copies of Mozart's music. They're trying to revive culture and society once again, trying to preserve it in some way. Eli comes to the gate of Alcatraz and says, hey, I've got something you're really going to want. I've got a copy of the Bible. Everybody was stunned. They bring Eli in. Where's the Bible, Eli? He lays down and he tells the curator there, the one caring for all, you're going to need a lot of paper and you better get some ink. He lays down, and word by word, he recites God's word. In the beginning, God. And the movie fades out as he's reciting the real thing, the treasure. We have the privilege of walking with His God, and we can hide his word in our heart. And as parents, you get to be dispensers of the truth. In a lot of ways, we're all like Eli. If we know the king, we know him. And we can worship him through time with him. We can ingest his word. We can treasure it. And we can protect it and preserve it. And we can hand it on to the next generation and the generations to come. And the movement won't stop. It's going to continue. It's not predicated upon us. God's sovereign and powerful. His kingdom expands. But we have the joy of being a part of that mission. We get to walk with the real one. In the real message, the real thing hungering for it, studying it, living it, and handing it on to the next. You get to be an Eli of the good news, of the real thing. It's not just for me as a pastor. It's for you as the pastor of your home, the shepherd of your business, the elder of your team. Wherever God's appointed you, you have influence. We can lead people to the real thing. Let's do it in the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, the strength of His Word that we may track with our God, dispensing His wisdom to all we come into contact with. So, will you lead people to the real thing? Will you be a legit Eli today to the power of the Holy Spirit? Let's pray.